All right. I know we're starting a little early. Probably people will trickle in. That's okay. We're, we're informal here. We're a family. So uh, if you need to get a cup of coffee or, or whatever, or get a donut. If I get boring, you can, you can go get a donut. That's fine. I'm not offended. I'll try my best not to bore you, though. So if you're, if you're new or visiting, I'll just bring you up to speed where we were last week because it, it'll help us in, in where we're going this week. Last week, we, um, we looked at Galatians 3, the, the last part of it. I don't remember the exact reference. It was the last part uh, through verse 29. And it was Paul in his very wordy way. I love Paul, but Peter, if you remember last week, he said, man, Paul, I love you, but sometimes you write stuff and it's whew, over my head. Last week, Paul was talking about what it means to live as a child of the promise as opposed to a child of the law. And I took what he said and I tried to pull out a couple metaphors because I believe that he was telling us about how God wants us to relate to him. And how we relate to him leads to freedom or bondage. We're in a series called Finding Freedom. And so I kind of spelled out the different ways that we can relate to, to the Lord. And I think there are three. We can choose to relate to God as an orphan. That's where we're, we're in an orphanage, and the caretaker of that orphanage is Satan. You can imagine how good of a place that is to live, right? Not a great place. And we can live in rebellion against God, or we can deny that he exists, or we don't know that he exists, and we're just going our own way with no father, with no care, with no pr- protection, and we're angry and bitter about it, or we're indifferent. That's one mentality. We can treat God like he's a distant, far-off being that doesn't give a hoot, and we're an orphan. The second mentality that we can come to God with is a little bit better, but it's not everything that God wants for us. It's what I called the foster care mentality. And that would be where we go out from under the orphanage and we come into the foster care system with all the legal requirements of the law. And that's okay because it means there's some protection, there's some provision there from the the legal requirements of the law. And yet, if you come to God like a foster care kid, there's kind of this always, always this nagging suspicion that if you don't toe the line or you step out of line a little bit, that he's going to give you back, right? He's going to put you back into the orphanage. And so the security that God wants for us is not there. So we've got an orphan mentality, a foster care kid mentality, or how God wants us to relate to him. And that is as a child, a son or daughter of the king just like you were full-blooded, 100% child of the king. That's what the Lord wants for us. Hopefully, that metaphor is helpful for you, was helpful for you. There's a lot of freedom wrapped up in that and in how we relate to God. And maybe this last week, you kind of said, man, today I'm kind of feeling like an orphan, or today I'm kind of relating to God like a foster care kid. I think we kind of go in and out of those mentalities, but the Lord wants us to, to live as a child of the king. And today, we're going to look a little bit more closely from our passage, what does it mean to be a child of the king, and flesh out for us a little bit better uh, some of the applications of that. And so Paul tells us in Galatians 4, 1 through 7, and if you have a phone or a Bible, I encourage you to get it out. I'll be reading it from the NLT here in a minute. But Galatians 4, 1 through 7, Paul tells us that being a child of the king means you have an inheritance, Before Jesus, you didn't have full access to that inheritance, but now, because of Jesus, you do. You do. And so my my hope and, and the point of this morning is to help you understand that Jesus has freed you and I to live from our inheritance. Now, help us wrap our brains around this. Paul actually gives us a really helpful metaphor, and he, he says it has something to do with a trust. Now, I don't know if any of you have a trust or not, but 
I don't know if this was the hand of the Lord or just coincidence, Rachel and I, my wife, we actually just set up a trust for our family. We have four kids now, kind of a big family, and we figure we probably ought to have like a will and something in place to make sure that our kids are taken care of in the event that Rachel and I passed away. And so we did what, what you would do in this. Actually, I did this once through the internet. I did like $20. I was like, oh, that'll be good. Turns out not so good. So you have to actually pay a lawyer to draw this up. I know. Who knew, right? I'm like a YouTuber. It's like, I can figure this out. Do it on YouTube. No, you actually have to pay somebody. So we, we paid a lawyer. We sat down with him. And he kind of structured for us, not just a will. I feel like, that's enough. He's like, actually, given, given how things work and all this, that we, we actually need a trust on top of that. And so what this was is called a revocable trust. It gives us the ability to amend it, do all this other stuff. But if we pass away, both of us pass away, then every, all of our assets go into this thing. And then it's managed by either my brother or her sister. They become the trustees or the guarantors. And they look after all of our assets and stuff until our kids are 25. So all of those things actually belong to our kids, but they don't just get free reign over our assets. And that's a really good thing because my my oldest right now is seven. And you could imagine how a seven-year-old would spend all of our money in our house and all that, right? Like my ice cream, video games, and cheeseburgers. Like that's what what we're going to get if Clark's in charge of his inheritance. (laughs) Not a good thing. Recently, we were, we were talking. He's like, Dad, can I get a PS5? I'm like, I don't know, buddy. Can you? He's like, well, uh, I don't know. He's like, how much is it? It's like $500, if you can even get one. He's like, well, how much is $500? I'm like, I don't know. It's 500 cheeseburgers at McDonald's. He's like, oh, that's a lot of cheeseburgers. <laughs> I bet I could eat all of them. It's like, no, you couldn't. But, right, that's how he thinks of money. Not in terms of dollar bills, but in terms of McDonald's cheeseburgers. That is not someone that you want in charge of an inheritance. And so we put this trust in place. And this trust says if we pass away, that their uncles actually control and manage all of that. So the way the lawyer explained it, he said, listen, if you guys pass away, let's say Clark turns 16, he's ready for a car. It's like, ah, all right, I'm going to a car. We got all this money in the bank. I'm like, I'm going to spend all of it. I'm going to get a Corvette Stingray. And he'd have to spend all of it because there's not that much, right? <laughs> I'm going to a Corvette Stingray. My brother... Or brother-in-law could step in and say, listen, dude, we love you. That is a horrible decision, right? In fact, I was talking to my brother about that last night. He's like, actually, I think that'd be pretty awesome. It's like, dude, (laughs) no, I'm changing the trustee. (laughs) But you get it, right? One of the uncles could step in and and, and tell him like, hey, Clark, you're 16. If a 20-year-old Buick was good enough for your dad to drive, then it's good enough for you to drive, okay? So that's how the trust works. That's how the trust would work. And this is precisely Paul's point when he talks about our inheritance from the Lord. He says that God has given us an inheritance, but prior to Christ Jesus, the law was the executor of the estate. We were put under guardianship. So we have access to our inheritance, but not full access. The law kind of restricts us from getting full access to what God promises to us. I want to read it about read about it with you here in Galatians 4, 1 through 7. Paul says, I want you to think of it this way. When you're thinking about the law and the Old Testament, all that, I want you to think of it like this. If a father dies and leaves an inheritance for his young children, those children are not much better off than slaves until they grow up, even though they actually own everything their father had. They have to obey their guardian 
until they reach whatever age their father set. And that's the way it was. That's the way it was with us before Christ came. We were like children. We were slaves to the basic spiritual principles of this world. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that we could be adopted as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. Well, this, this series we've entitled Finding Freedom. And folks, there's a whole lot of freedom to be found in this passage. Paul says to us that in Christ we have today full access to God's inheritance as children of the king. But apart from Christ, we are enslaved to the basic spiritual principles of this world. The basic spiritual principles of this world. Now, as I was reading and studying this passage, two questions came to mind. The first is, what exactly is the inheritance that we've been promised? What's the inheritance that we've been promised through Christ? And secondly, what are these basic spiritual principles that enslave us or prohibit us from accessing that inheritance fully? And I want to spend our rest of our time together this morning answering those two questions. What's the inheritance? And what are the basic spiritual principles that can prohibit us from accessing fully that inheritance? So firstly, what's your inheritance? Folks, do you know what Christ died to give you? Have you thought about that? There's a lot of ways to answer that. We talked last week a little bit about becoming a child of God. That's one thing that God did. He made us a child. This means, like we talked last week, you don't have to be an orphan. You're not alone in this world. There's a Father in heaven who wants to provide and protect and guide and care for you. You're not an orphan. You don't have to be an orphan. That's part of your inheritance. You don't have to be a foster care kid, insecure, whether or not you're towing the line perfectly, or you're going to get given back. Because of Jesus, you can live your life as a son or daughter of the king. You can be adopted into his family. You can gain legal access to all that is his. In verse 7, in verse 7, we're told point blank that Christ has made it possible for you to become an heir. Rather than a slave, rather than an orphan, rather than a foster care kid, you can become an heir to the king. I love that word, heir. Son or daughter is helpful language because it, it, it communicates to us the kind of intimacy that the father wants to have with us. But the, the, the word heir has kind of a prestige to it, doesn't it? Right? Kind of a, a VIP status that goes beyond just son or daughter. Nobody refers to my kids as heirs. Right? Why? Well, because there's, there's not exactly a huge fortune or inheritance coming their way. We think about that word heir. We use that of, of rich people, like the Trumps or the Queen of England. She's got some heirs, right? She's got some heirs. Being an heir changes how you think. It changes how you live. How could it not? When you come into an inheritance like that as an heir, your life changes. Folks, that's the first thing I want you to know from this passage. If you are in Jesus Christ, if you believe God, if you trust in God, then you become an heir and you are promised an inheritance. 
And because of Jesus, you have full access to that inheritance today. So live from it, folks. Live from your inheritance. How silly would it be for an heir with an inheritance the size of Fort Knox to pretend like that money didn't exist? That would be silly. How silly would it be for that person to live like a slave or an orphan or a foster care kid or a homeless beggar? We would ridicule that person. What is wrong with you? Your mom and dad left you this fortune and you're choosing to ignore it? You're forgetting that it exists? You're just letting it sit in the bank and doing nothing with it? What is wrong with you? Folks, that's what so many of us are like in Jesus. We know we've been purchased. We know we're saved. We know we've been adopted. But rather than choosing to live from all that is ours in the inheritance that God has given us, we question whether it really exists or not. We have all these resources and power and authority available to us in Christ, but we forget about it. We ignore it. And many times we choose to live like an orphan or a foster care kid rather than a trust fund baby. This metaphor breaks down a little bit when we're speaking about the inheritance that God has for us because when we talk about wealth, we're talking about objects. And that's not what God has for us in our inheritance. He doesn't have wealth for us. He doesn't have health, wealth, and prosperity for us. He doesn't have children or a spouse or the American dream. He doesn't have happiness for us as an inheritance. He doesn't have spiritual gifts for us as an inheritance. Our inheritance is far, is, is far superior than any object because our inheritance is not an object at all. No. What God has promised to you and I as an inheritance is himself. It's himself. That is what we get. We get him. That's what Paul says here. He says, when you're adopted by Jesus Christ, you get access to God's presence via his spirit. He makes us family members, and through that spirit, he enables us to talk to God and say, Abba, Father, Daddy. He enables us to call him Dad. Our relationship with God is the inheritance that we are promised through Christ, and we are granted full, unhindered, 24-7 access to our Creator God as his child. I've shown this picture multiple times. I'm going to show it again. It's a picture of Jack Kennedy. Little Jack hiding under the resolute desk there. Why does Jack get to come in to the president's office the way he does? Because he's his child. That is what Christ has purchased for you and I. Access to the president, unhindered, unfettered. No security, no checkpoints. Come on in, climb up on my lap because you're my kid. This is what Christ died to give us. And you might not be convinced that that's a good thing. Health, wealth, prosperity, money, spiritual gifts. Come on, Levi, those are good things. They might be. But in a relationship with God, we are giving something far superior. If you're not convinced, let me give you another illustration. The Bible calls us sheep, right? If you've ever worked with sheep, you know that's not a compliment. 
It's not. Sheep are dumb. They're real dumb. They can't take care of themselves. They have no idea where to find food. They're slow. If a predator comes along, the best they can do is huddle together and hope that he gets full after he's eaten a couple from the outside, right? (laughs) That's sheep. If they fall over, if they fall on their backs, their legs are up, they're done. They will drown. They can't even roll over back on their legs. The Bible says, hey, you humans, you're like these dumb animals. Sheep. He's like, Levi, where are you going with this? Stay with me. We're like sheep. We too are slow. We're slow in the uptake. We're a little dumb sometimes. We can't do much by ourselves or for ourselves. And yet, so many believers try and do things apart from their Heavenly Father. They try and put on a cape as a sheep and become super sheep, right? If we do this, if we go to church and study our Bibles and, and lift spiritual weights, then we'll be able to be super sheep and we'll be able to care for ourselves and provide for ourselves and control our environment, and we'll do it. And we might be able to do a little bit, but eventually we just wear ourselves out trying to be super sheep, living apart from our inheritance, trying to live on our own. Let me ask you this. I know I'm mixing metaphors, but hang with me. Do you ask your children to protect themselves? Maybe your children are grown up, but think of them when they're, you know, like my kids age, seven and younger. Do you ask your kids to fend for themselves? If you did, could they? If you gave them a lot of money, could they protect and provide for themselves? If they tried, would their lives be restful? No, of course not, right? All the striving to take care of themselves, to provide for themselves, to control their environment. They probably wouldn't do a great job, and even if they could manage... That's all they'd be doing, just managing, just getting by. They wouldn't be thriving. If you died, if you died and they had to fend for themselves, even if you left them a sizable inheritance behind, alone, they would not thrive. They would live a frantic and restless life in a far less than healthy environment. The point I'm trying to make here is this. Your children don't need riches. They need you. They need you. And sheep can't become super sheep, but they can stay close to their good shepherd. This is precisely why God gives us himself as our inheritance. We don't need his gifts. We need him. He doesn't call us to be super sheep. God invites us to live in close proximity to him as our good shepherd, So that when we can't protect ourselves, when we can't provide for ourselves, he can and he will. Folks, if you don't take anything else from our our chat today other than this, this is enough. You have enough in Jesus because he is enough. You don't need what God can give you by way of his blessings and gifts. You just need him. The Lord God is your inheritance, and because of Jesus, you have full, unfettered access to him today. The question is, do you live like a child who knows his inheritance or not? Folks, this is where true freedom is found, living in this truth. This brings us to the second question we talked about earlier. What are the basic spiritual principles in this world that keep us from fully accessing the inheritance God has for us? As I thought about this, I prayed about it, I was able to come up with three basic spiritual principles 
that, that relate directly to this text. I'm sure there's more, but these three kind of sort of floated to the top. And these spiritual principles function kind of like gravity functions for us in our physical world. If you jump out of an airplane, you're going to fall because gravity exists, right? Yeah, it governs how we move through our planet. Gravity limits us in certain ways. If you jump out of an airplane, the law of gravity is gonna make you fall to your death. That's what's gonna happen. It doesn't mean you always have to fall to your death. It just means that unless you have something in place to help you overcome this basic physical principle, like a parachute or a jetpack, gravity is gonna bring you to a, 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 a splat, right? It's not gonna end well. To, to keep in this metaphor, God desires that you and I would soar through this life. Jesus said, I came to give you life and abundant life. He wants us to fly spiritually. He wants us to have full access to him as our inheritance. But in this passage, we discover that there are certain basic spiritual principles that can hold us back. Like gravity holds us back from flying through our physical world. There are elementary spiritual principles that can hold us back from living with access to the full inheritance that Christ purchased for us. So my question is, what are those basic spiritual principles? Here are the three that I think are relevant for us today. The first one is this. You are made to inherit God. It's a spiritual law. It's what you were made for. The church father Augustine, or Augustine, however you say it, he's famous, famously quoted as saying, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in God. This affirms this basic spiritual principle. You were made to inherit God. John 17, 3 does as well. John says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God. This is eternal life. This is the point of life. This is what you were made for, that you know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. You and I were created in God's image, the Bible tells us, in multiple places. We were created to glorify and enjoy God forever. Basic spiritual principle number one, you are made to inherit God. You were made for a relationship with him and nothing apart from a relationship with him will ever be able to satisfy your soul. Principle number one, law number one, you are made to inherit God. Principle number two, sin separates you and I from that inheritance. You and I were made to inherit God, but the problem is sin cuts us off from our inheritance. At best, apart from Christ, the law can only make us foster care kids. It can't give us full access to God. It can show us our sin. It can show us the problem. But that's all it can do. And so at best, at best under the law, we can only live like a foster care kid in relationship to God. Sin's a big problem. Spiritual principle number one, you were made to inherit God. Spiritual principle number two, sin cuts you off from full access to God as your inheritance. And this last basic principle might seem like it comes out of left field a little bit here, so hang with me, because I think it's one of the, it's one of the spiritual laws that the Lord has put in place that robs so many Christians of freedom. It's this. Permission and authority to bless and curse is given to spiritual beings or be, 
it's given to the spiritual being or beings you believe are telling the truth. Permission and authority to bless you or curse you is given to the spiritual being or beings you believe are telling the truth. This basic principle is throughout all of Scripture. The logic of this law goes like this. God alone has the words to life and truth. If you believe him, if you trust him, if you believe what he says is true and align your life under it, then life and truth will come into your life. You will receive blessing from God. But if you don't believe God, if you don't trust him, if you don't take what he says as truth, whether this is a conscious decision or not, you're calling God a liar and you are aligning yourself with the father of lies, Satan. If you believe Satan's lies, then you are giving permission and authority for Satan to bring cursing into your life. Evil, bad. To say it another way, who you believe is telling the truth, spiritually, grants permission and authority to that spiritual being to bring good or bad into your life. God is good, the Bible tells us. He is love. He is true. If you believe him, love and goodness is coming into your life by way of blessing. If you don't believe him, you're going to believe a lie. That lie is fueled by Satan. You're going to put yourself under his permission and authority. He's evil and he's wicked, and so he is going to bring evil and wickedness, cursing, into your life. So to recap, I see three relevant basic spiritual principles that affect how we are able to live from our inheritance. The first one, you're made to inherit God. This means if you try to live for anything else, as your inheritance other than God, you're going to come up wanting. The American dream, a career, money, riches, wealth, sex, power. If you try and live for anything else as your inheritance other than God, you're going to come up wanting. Now this principle doesn't necessarily hold us back so much as it sets us straight. We need to reorient our lives to live for God rather than these other things because that's what we were made for. There's a problem though. The problem comes in with basic spiritual principle number two. Even if you want to live for God and have him as your inheritance, you can't because sin separates you from God. This is where Jesus comes in, right? When the right time came, Paul tells us, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law, to set us free from the law of sin and death so that we could be adopted as his very own children. Now that should be phenomenal news for the entire planet, right? You're made for God, sin separates you, but praise God, Jesus has come and made a way for us to fully access him and receive our inheritance. The problem is, that is not universally true. Why? Because of spiritual principle number three. Who we believe, who we believe gives the authority and permission to release what Christ did into our life or not. Does that make sense? It's not universally true that all can access the Father, even though Jesus made a way for them to do that. Not everyone is able to receive their inheritance. Verse 6 says that only those who cry, Abba, Father. Only those who choose to come to God as their Father are permitted to receive their full inheritance. Now, I realize this is a little confusing. I'm confused, and I wrote it, right? I was praying about, Lord, I need an illustration because this is really philosophical. There's a lot of logic stuff going on here. Like, how do I bring this home? And I didn't have anything until yesterday morning. 
I was sleeping, and my son, Graham, he is five. He came into my room, and he was furious. And I was furious because it was 6.30, and he woke me up. <laughs> Little Graham comes into my room. He's crying. Ellie's right on his heels after him. She's four, and they're bickering. Right, they wake me up, they're fighting. Like, what in the world is going on? Graham's like, Ellie wants some of my Pop-Tarts, and she can't have them. Rachel had just taken Graham to the store yesterday on Friday. Took him into the breakfast aisle and said, hey, pick out some Pop-Tarts. So he did. We have five different boxes of Pop-Tarts in our pantry. It's ridiculous. Really, like Oprah? Like, go to the, everybody gets a Pop-Tart, right? Like, what's wrong with you? So we have five boxes of Pop-Tarts in our pantry. And Graham does not want his little sister to have any. He comes into my bedroom, he's like, she can't have any. They're mine, and I don't want to, I want to have them, and I want to eat them, and she can't have any. So I'm like, Graham, who bought those Pop-Tarts? Did you pay for them? No. No, you didn't. Your mom and I did. Graham, do you think if we run out of Pop-Tarts that the store maybe has more boxes of Pop-Tarts? Yeah. I said, don't you think your mom and dad love you enough we want to care for you, we want to provide for you, we want to protect you, that if we run out of breakfast food, that we're going to take you to the store and maybe pick out some more of those Pop-Tarts. Yeah, I guess so. So do you think maybe you could share some of those with your sister then? Okay. <laughs> and he did. He went back and they both had Pop-Tarts. You might be like, how does this connect to the story or to what we're talking about? Here's how. The Lord Jesus wants us to live in the truth. The reality is we have unfettered access to our God and Father. The problem is with our belief. Whether or not we believe God is who he says he is and will do what he says he's going to do or not, depending where we land in those beliefs either restricts us from living in the freedom and care and comfort of our Heavenly Father from the inheritance that is ours in Christ Jesus or not. When we relate this to salvation, you're either going to believe that Jesus did everything that needed to be done so that you can be saved and, and have the promise of heaven. And that's an important thing to believe because if you don't believe that, then the eternity that is promised to you is eternal separation from God in hell. It's a really big consequence. But let's say we believe God for our salvation. Does that mean that we're always living completely 100% from our inheritance? Like Graham? No, there are moments in our lives where we might get fixated on one thing, like whether or not we're going to have enough money in the bank or enough Pop-Tarts in the pantry. And rather than believing the truth that there is a God in heaven who loves you, and has promised to provide for your every need, you believe a lie from Satan that restricts you from walking in the freedom of the inheritance that you have because of Christ. Do you see how this works? It's a battle in our minds for belief. That's why the Apostle Paul says, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world which are informed by the lies of Satan. Rather, be conformed to the image of Christ. Be transformed by Jesus Christ. How? By the renewing of your minds. Believe the truth, Paul says, and walk in freedom. 
Live from your inheritance or don't. And let Satan make you a snot-nosed, bratty little kid who won't share with his sister sometimes. One way leads to life and freedom. One way leads to bondage and stinginess and a whole lot of tears and grief. May the Holy Spirit empower us to believe what God has said and live from the inheritance that is ours in Christ Jesus. And just so we're clear here, I am not talking about a name it and claim it gospel, right? Just because you believe something does not mean you can make your wish God's command. It has to be informed by scripture. It has to be true. It has to be something that he's promised. You can't say, well, God, I believe that you promised me a mansion in Malibu. He didn't. So no amount of you believing it is gonna make that true. Here's what it means to live in the truth and receive the inheritance that God has for you. Believing that God, your Abba Father, will meet all of your needs in Christ Jesus. You can claim that. You can live in that truth. Live from your inheritance in regards to that. Wherever you're at, God has said, I will meet your needs. You have enough because I'm enough. You can believe that your Abba Father will give you strength in your weakness. He said so. I am strong in your weakness. If you're feeling weak, you can take it to the bank that the Lord promises to be strong in your weakness. You can live from that as your inheritance. You can expect that your Abba Father is not only able to, but promises to make something good come out of really bad things all of the time. You can name that and claim that because the Lord promises that as your inheritance. Folks, this is no easy battle. Fighting to believe God in all that he has said is difficult. But Christ has made a way for us to have full access to our inheritance, and if we will fight to believe God's truth, then the Lord promises us an abundant life and a life full of joy. If you're a child of God, you have full access to your inheritance. Holy Spirit, help us live like it. Amen? I want to shift into a time of communion. I was thinking about communion this week in terms of our discussion this morning. I love that the Father has given us a concrete example, a concrete symbol that can draw us back in those times where we forget, where we get more concerned about the Pop-Tarts than the Father that's going to provide for us. He gives us a concrete example to help us remember what our inheritance is. It's the Father drawing us back to himself. And it shows us the lengths that he was willing to go to make a way for you and I to receive that inheritance. He gave up his one and only son. Christ Jesus' body was broken for you. His blood was shed for you so that you could receive access to the Father whenever you want and live in the freedom of his truth and his promises. As you come this morning to partake of the bread and the cup, Invite the Holy Spirit who enables you to cry, Abba, Father. Invite the Holy Spirit to examine your heart. Pray this prayer as you take of Christ's broken body and his shed blood. Lord Jesus, is there any area in my life where I am believing lies that are permitting me from walking in the freedom that you died to give me? And as he exposes lies, 
Thank him for his sacrifice that enables you to kick those lies out of your head and be conformed by the renewing of your mind to the truth. Jesus died to set you free. He can, he will, and he does. If you believe him. Let's pray. The band can come up. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for telling us the truth. Lord Jesus, we live in a world that is so incredibly confusing. This week, as I was listening to the news, my heart broke for what is happening in Ukraine. Father, I can't make heads or tails of why Vladimir Putin, what would compel someone to go and take innocent life unprovoked. We live in a a confusing world, Lord. We live in a world that is under the authority of Satan to some degree. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming here and for making a way out of this place, for granting us a way to come into the inheritance that God wants us to have, to come into his presence, to be reminded of truth, to gain clarity, to gain freedom. Thank you, Lord, for conquering the wicked spirits that exist, for bringing them under subjugation, for exalting us with yourself to your throne, giving us access to your authority to claim lies for what they are and to kick them out in any spirits that might be behind them, operating in our life that shouldn't. I pray, Jesus, that you would help us fight spiritually that you would renew our minds with your truth. Pray, Father, that you would give us access, greater access to yourself. We pray as we sang, we want more. We want more. We want more of you, God. Set a fire in our hearts. Set us free. For your glory and our joy. Amen.